You're listening to the Group Practice Exchange Podcast. We're the business development resource for group practice owners, where we talk candidly about business ownership and leadership. From practice building tips to live coaching to real talk episodes with other group practice owners, we're the resource you've been looking for to help you grow your group practice. I'm your host, group practice owner and entrepreneur, Maureen Werbach. This episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes is an online EHR, practice management, and billing software designed for mental health professionals. Therapy Notes has everything you need to manage patient records, schedule appointments, create rich documentation, and bill insurance right at your fingertips. They offer free and unlimited live support seven days a week. Their streamlined software is accessible wherever and whenever you need it. To get two free months, go to www.therapynotes.com forward slash r forward slash the group practice exchange. Need a new accountant or bookkeeper? Meet Green Oak Accounting, an accounting firm that works specifically with private practices. They do all of your accounting needs from budgeting to accounting to bookkeeping and payroll to building your dashboard. On top of that, they can help you set up your profit first systems. Go to greenoakaccounting.com and mention the group practice exchange for $100 off your first month. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Group Practice Exchange podcast. This week, I have Melina Palmer of The Brainy Business with us, and she's an applied behavioral economist. So she's going to be talking about what behavioral economics is, why it's important in our business, and how that translates into our business. So hi, Melina. Thanks for being on with us. Thanks so much for having me. My audience most likely doesn't know you yet. I know a few do, like our friend Amber. But for those who don't know you, can you talk a little bit about who you are, what you do, and then we can kind of segue into our topic? Of course. So I am a behavioral economist. And what that means is that I help people to understand how our brains actually process information and make decisions and therefore to better communicate with people, whether that's our customers, clients, employees, and team members, anything in between. Really, the psychology of why people act, choose, change, and buy is what I focus on. I have my master's in behavioral economics from the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. And so I come in on the psychology side of stuff. And while economics, I obviously care about as well. But, you know, knowing the audience we have here, I'm really uh, more on the true understanding of the brain and how people don't do what we think they should. We act in ways that maybe aren't in alignment with what we want to do, what we intend to do, what we thought we did, and we can't really explain why we did something. And that's where behavioral economics comes in. It's understanding the rules that the brain actually uses to make decisions. And I use that kind of on a front end to help people to better communicate with everyone around them. That's really awesome. And I think it's not something that we as business owners often are paying attention to. I know when I first started my own group practice, I made decisions just as a simple example around employee benefits based off of what I thought was really important. And mm-hmm. so for me, and you know, as someone who's in mental health, I should have known better. And I know this is something that all of us have done, but I assumed that when I first was offering my first benefit, I think was 401k or retirement matching. I thought it was such an awesome benefit to be able to start giving because I really value retirement, you know, having enough money when I'm older 
And I noticed that I don't think any in the beginning, when I first had a handful of therapists, any of them took it. And I thought, why would you not put 3% down and get the business to be paying 3% more towards your retirement? And it was just something that wasn't of value to them at that time. But sort of this like assumption that what we think is important is what, you know, everyone else is going to think is important is not always true. For sure. And what's really interesting and my favorite aspect of the work that I do is that things are not about the thing. My framework I use for presenting, whether it's pricing strategy, change management, it's called, it's not about the cookie. So price isn't about the price. The change isn't about the change. It's about the way we present information that can make a difference as to whether someone feels like this is a great idea or something that they hate or that they don't care about or where they feel really overwhelmed is something that can happen very quickly. There's been some really amazing research in behavioral science around actually 401k matching. There's a program called Save More Tomorrow, where it had people you would ask, you know, do you want to pre-commit today and say when you get a raise that will just automatically increase that number for you? what you're going to be putting down so you don't even have to pay attention. So they commit in this cold state and say, yeah, that sounds good. And then they ended up saving a lot more when the time came than those who didn't. And there are people who will say they want to change their allocations in the next you know, 30, 60, 90 days that that is on their to-do list. They're definitely doing it. And you look four months later and they haven't done anything. And it's not because they don't want to. It's because we just get hung up in a lot of different things. So you can set up the way you present the information to make it easier for people to do the things that they actually want to do, which is pretty cool. I really love that. When we're thinking about this, so I feel like there's so many different ways we can tackle this topic, whether it's through us as therapists and how we find clients Mm -hmm. or us as therapists and how we find therapists to hire or us as a business and as leaders and our leadership team and how we communicate with our employees. So because as everyone knows, my episodes are pretty short, I want to focus this episode on how we as group practice owners and leaders and our leadership teams, because a lot of our listeners have teams of leaders, whether it's supervisors or clinical directors, practice managers, and things like that, how we can use behavioral economics to be better leaders for our teams. Can you talk a little bit to that point and how you help people with that and and maybe some things to consider when it comes to leading? For sure. So my second book is called What Your Employees Need and Can't Tell You. So very much in line with what you're talking about here. And it just came out last week. Uh, Well, maybe not when this airs, but, you know, it came out here in October. So really in this way, being more thoughtful about the information that we present. And you have, I mean, the audience that's listening here, you know a lot of the concepts that come into play. Like I said, the psychology piece is a huge part of behavioral economics. So you're already, you know, leaps and bounds ahead of other people who don't have that background, but just applying it to the way that we think about information in business. So getting away from the shoulds is one really big thing, right? So to say everyone should be on board with this change, everyone should want 401k matching and jump right in. Everyone should like whatever. Mm-hmm. When we're saying should, I, I would like to say that's a four-letter word. That's what we say here at the Brady Business, right? So we want to be looking at what people actually do. And when you think about your teams and communicating stuff, often when we think about change, we think it's just the big stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. We've got, we're changing 
our name. We are, you know, having a succession planning. We've got a huge process change or we're moving people to a new building. But our brains are really focused on micro decisions. So the average person makes 35,000 decisions every single day. And we want to be focusing on those little tiny moments and know that that is either building up to make it so people are ready to be receptive for change, or it is making them incredibly overwhelmed and they're very much not ready and receptive for change. And so little tiny tweaks you can make in your framing, in the way you set things up, in the emails you send, in your subject lines can all be a big differentiator in whether people like the idea or they hate it. And so that is something I look at focusing on. Okay. So would you say that one of the things that I have really focused on in the past probably five or six years of my business is transparency, finding Mm -hmm. that people are more willing to accept change or understand change, even if it's not exactly what they want, when we as leaders are able to be as transparent as possible has been, I think, something that's created a lot of success in my business in terms of staff being okay with the change that we have without, you know, like a huge amount of resistance. Yeah, definitely. It's not about the cookie framework. Reciprocity is one aspect in there that is a big focus. And I talk about it in the way of giving the gift of transparency and openness and honesty. You can factor in the IKEA effect there where people like things more that they've been able to have a hand in helping to create, even if in a very small way. And so if they can help shape the program by being brought in a little bit earlier, even having some small aspect of it, it can make it so someone who might be an adversary is more likely to be an advocate. To give an example of something that I use in the book and I talk about a lot as the way we present something that can either be setting people up to fail or to be successful, that is uh, an example of an email I once got from a boss It was 10 a.m. on a Thursday, and I got an email that says, we need to talk, be in my office at 2. Ugh. Right? Which is terrifying. A really scary email to get. And of course, I spent the next four hours looking at every project I was working on, everyone I'd been communicating with, anything. I was coming in, you know, ready to fight at this moment, Uh, get the gesture to come sit down, terrified sitting there. And she says... Hey, I just wanted to let you know I'm going to be out of the office tomorrow and I'm putting you in my email responder as the person for people to follow up with. Oh my and goodness. That was it. That been an email first off. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it's something I came to learn that this person I was reporting to was incredibly busy. It was the easiest way for her to say, "Hey, I'm going to need to talk to you." That was that simple thing that was best for her in the mm-hmm. communication. I talk about this in this is my concept of priming not my concept, but how I represent the concept of priming in that, you know, the smell of popcorn or the scent of cookies is something we really love. Burnt popcorn in an office can derail everything, right? So looking for those burnt popcorn moments like that email, you may be sending stuff when you're busy, right? Just a quick, hey, we need to talk can be saving you two or three minutes and Mm -hmm. it's costing one on your team hours of time. And so being thoughtful- to be more thoughtful about what you're sending out. A couple of stats that I have in, in that new book, one being 
people wouldn't send emails if they thought people wouldn't understand what they were saying, right? But uh, stats show that people misunderstand your emails 50% of the time. So half the time, people don't know exactly what you're saying. And so they have to follow up. And so over 60% of the work people are doing is busy, unimportant work. And that's creating stress and extra time pressure, which makes us more risk averse. And we have a lot of difficult time processing information and we get really stressed out. And so if you can alleviate some of that, if you send a more thoughtful message up front, even in that case, if she didn't know what all she was going to need to talk to me about saying, hey, I'm going to be out tomorrow. I want to go over a few things. Can I see you at two? Are you available at two? Right. That's a very different email. I know what's coming and it maybe took an extra 30 seconds, but I didn't lose a lot of time. In the case of when you miscommunicate or you don't put all the info, you do something quick, then someone is emailing back and saying, well, did you mean this? No, I meant this. Oh, this, blah, blah, blah. Or just a quick Slack chat, stop by for five minutes, quick question. And that all adds up. And so it's investing upfront a little bit more time knowing it's going to pay off in the short term, but long run as well, if you can invest that bit of thoughtfulness. Okay. I actually have a, it relates and also doesn't, but I feel like my audience is going to love to know the answer to this. It kind of goes along with your experience that you had with that one boss. Is there a best way to communicate with someone as a leader if you need to have a conversation with them, either about putting them into a performance improvement plan or termination when it comes to timing or how to set that up in a way that doesn't create that much stress up until the point of the actual conversation? Right. So one thing bringing back to that first example is that was an easy thing she was sharing. And if you can imagine Mm -hmm. that email leading into something like this, there's no way I am ready to hear that information because my brain is just going crazy, right? There's so much going on. Mm -hmm. And there is a really great psychologist that talks about the brain. If you think about it, like a person riding an elephant and Mm -hmm. that subconscious elephant is doing, you know, over 90% of our processing. So when people are stressed and we're trying to communicate with the logical part of the brain, we're not paying attention to the elephant, which is running rampant. And we need to become more of an elephant whisperer for one. And so knowing that sometimes if we can take a step back and look at how maybe we can work on calming the elephant, it can help an employee to truly improve where we think they might be too far gone. And I have an example of this being someone on my team who was missing deadlines, showing up late to meetings, not having a good excuse, saying she was trying, but nothing to be done. We were meeting in her one-on-one where I always start with the, what's the most important thing we should be talking about today? She says, I wish we could talk about my wedding, to which many would say, well, that's a nice wish, but that's not what we're here for. That's not our problem, right? So I said, okay, you know, what do you want to talk about? Let me add it, right? So she was my designer. She's talking about the invitations she was looking at and the color of the bridesmaids dresses, all these things that were just bogging down her brain because for anyone who's ever planned a wedding or any sort of event, there's Mm -hmm. a lot going on. It's really stressful. And it would be nice to be able to compartmentalize our brains, but we can't. So we spent the first, you know, half to three quarters of the meeting talking through all that stuff. And then she said, oh, okay, I'm so sorry. I know I've been 
late. I've been missing some stuff. These are some things I need to work on. This is the next step. Can I check in with you Thursday? Whatever. And she started showing up on time. She stopped missing deadlines. We just needed to calm the elephant a bit to be Mm -hmm. able to let her focus. So for one, I would say, take a moment to see if that person is really so far gone, or can you help alleviate some stress that can make it so change is going to be easier for them? Mm -hmm. That would be a first step to do. When it's not, then we still want to be, you know, giving opportunities for questions and questioning and having a conversation with them to help them, you know, leveraging the IKEA effect again. If you ask them what they think they should be focusing on, what they think the problem is, how they can contribute to solving the problem in helping to shape their own plan in some ways is something that can help them to be more likely to stick with it. And, you know, if there's someone who is truly just not a fit, there's a lot of benefit to in helping them to see that there are other opportunities out there for them and to look at that in a supportive way as you would if you had a, you know, a client who needed to move on to be able to support them. I remember reading in Kim Scott's book, uh, Radical Candor. I don't know if you ever read that book. Mm -hmm. She was using an example about someone that worked for her who just wasn't a good fit and was talking about how when you as a leader can come to the conversation with them and support them and almost either coming up with the idea that the fit isn't there and supporting them through the process of even seeing like what kind of environments would be a good fit for you. You're almost creating a sense of connection with that person, even through a difficult time like termination because you're working kind of side by side and and supporting them through finding something that's actually a better fit for them versus viewing it as like this only negative thing of, you know, you're fired. Right. Yes. Yeah. And if you focus on what's being given up, what you're taking away from them, and you think you're going to say, you don't really like this job and look at all these aspects of what you don't like, because our brains are really wired in to the status quo and we have a familiarity bias. We like what we have. We end up with where we'll get graduation goggles. Even if we were thinking we were ready to go, like, you know, we hated high school all four years. And then the last week when you're having to leave, (laughs) right. You go, Oh, like this wasn't so bad, you know, and I'm going to miss this place. By the way, I was like, you were ready the whole time. (laughs) I get that concept. You know, right. So yeah, yeah. so when you tell somebody that something is going away and the change is upon them, even if it's something they've been complaining about forever, it gets really scary. That elephant wants to stop and because it likes predictability, it likes to know what's going to happen. And change is something that can be scary when it's not presented very well. So if instead of saying, hey, look at all these things that I bet you don't like, and then what might be good for you, that can be something where they say, no, no, I love it here. I don't want to leave because there's fear of losing a paycheck or whatever else. And, you know, asking perhaps like if you think about your dream career, your dream role, what might that look like? Where are you wanting to be? And then you can pick up on some nuance of what they're talking about. And instead of then trying to prove to them that you're not the fit. Maybe it's to be able to show, you know, that there are other roles that you can maybe support them and knowing you're not going to recommend everyone. Right. Right. So there's a balance to what we put here. But if there is someone who, you know, is a great person who is a great worker and this is just not the right spot for them, but you know of someone else who has a role that could be a fit 
for them, you know, and you could recommend them for helping to showcase that support is really valuable and investing again, the time up front to be asking people to know what your role is that you're hiring for. Again, always taking those steps back, then you can be identifying when you're interviewing, if someone's going to be a fit or not. So you don't miss hire and then have these bigger problems down the line. Yeah. I really appreciate you coming on. Tell, I know you mentioned you have two books. I want you to name the two books and then also how people can find you, what the best way is for them to find you. Sure. Thank you. So my first book is What Your Customer Wants and Can't Tell You. The second is What Your Employees Need and Can't Tell You. I also have a podcast called The Brainy Business, and that's the name of my company as well. So everything can be found at thebrainybusiness.com, books, podcasts, consulting and training and whatever else. And you can find me on pretty much all the socials as The Brainy Biz, B-I-Z. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Group Practice Exchange podcast. Like what you heard? Give us five stars on whatever platform you're listening from. Need extra support? Join The Exchange, a membership community just for group practice owners with monthly office hours, live webinars, and a library of trainings ready for you to dive into. Visit www.members.thegrouppracticeexchange.com forward slash exchange. See you next week.